Well, so good morning. It's good to see you. Can I just say, honestly, it's good to see you every Sunday, but especially on Spring Forward Sunday, right? Because I never know if you're going to spring forward those clocks or not, or sleep, decide to get that extra hour of sleep. So thank you for coming, and uh, we're glad you're here. We're continuing today a, a, a study, a series we're calling Forward. We're talking about the church and how the church is called to move forward. Anybody ever like to watch the superheroes? You know, read about them. You know, I date myself all the way back to the comic book days when you used to have to look at superheroes in the comic books. One of my favorite moments in comic books or in superhero moments has got to be Superman, right? When Clark Kent, that humble, mild-mannered, um, timid little guy, newspaper guy, steps into what a phone booth, all the older ones said. All the younger ones are like, what's a phone booth? I don't know what a phone booth is, you know. It's like my grandkids, they don't know what a payphone is, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we've just gone a long ways in our time. But here's the thing, mild-mannered Clark Kent stepped into a phone booth and stepped out as Superman, right? What the moment, he's peeling away his shirt to reveal his Superman outfit, and he walks in, timid, mild-mannered, very weakly looking Clark, and he comes out Superman, ready to take on whatever foes may be out there. Now, that's one of my favorite moments in the stories of Superman. Now, I got to say, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was resurrected and the church began to move forward, I'm sure there were no phone booths. I'm pretty sure there were no opportunities for his disciples to experience a phone booth. But his closest followers had a moment, a phone booth moment, if you will, where they walked in timid, afraid, discouraged, distraught, and at one moment, everything changed. They became bold. They became courageous. They became unrecognizable, unexplainable to the people around them. The boldness was overwhelming, all because of one moment. We read about it last week. You remember? The story tells us, the, the book of Acts that we're studying tells us, that in the very beginning of that chapter, that Jesus went up. The scripture says his disciples followed him all the way out to the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said a few words to his disciples and then ascended up into heaven. And they must have been thinking, what do we do now? Our leader is gone. Our Messiah is gone. What are we going to do? How can this movement that he's left with us possibly go forward? It can't go forward without a leader. But then we saw in chapter 2 of Acts that as Jesus went up, just as he promised, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God came down. And when the Holy Spirit of God came down, everything changed. The Scripture says that the, that the Spirit came and sat upon them as tongues of fire sitting over their heads. In other words, the power of God had come to rest not only on them collectively, but on each one individually. And Paul would later tell us that the Spirit, this Holy Spirit, would reside in the hearts and lives of every believer so that every child of God now has God present in him. In fact, Paul went so far as to say that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is, that God is resident in you. And the power that brings is greater than a phone booth experience. It's no make-believe. It's no fairy tale. It's not a comic book. What I want to do today is take you a little deeper into the book of Acts 
and show you how the church began to move forward with boldness, right? The church moves forward in boldness. The very same church that had one time been afraid and timid now becomes bold. Can I remind you that in the first part of the chapter or the book, we see the church hiding in an upper room? They're biting their nails, so to speak, wondering, hoping that nobody finds them, hoping that no one turns them in, hoping that the, the, the religious leaders don't hear about them, hoping that the, the Romans will leave them alone, hoping that the same fate that occurred to Jesus does not happen to them. They're afraid, they're timid, and they're waiting, just as Jesus said. And what we're going to see today is a change. A phone booth experience where they stepped in timid and scared, and stepped out bold and confident so that the movement that began in Caesarea Philippi would go forward. Y'all willing to take a look? I think there's something for us to learn from it as well. <clears throat> now, let's set it up. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. That's where we are, Acts chapter 4. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. But first, in order to understand chapter 4, let me, let me go back and set the setting for you. Let me set the context. Because here's what happens in chapter 3. I won't read it. Let me just summarize it for you. In chapter 3, Peter and, and John, two of the closest followers of Christ, have just had this upper room experience, this filling of the Holy Spirit, this, this meeting with God, this phone booth experience, if you will. They've come out now, and they have a new boldness. They have a new power, and they're walking through the streets in a different way. I can almost see their chin is up now, whereas it was hanging down. I can see a confidence in them. I can hear that they're confident about what's going on. And so they're walking to the temple one day, and they see a man. They've seen this man every time. Everybody in the city knows this man. He's been here, nothing new. He's a lame man. Everybody knows him because he's been sitting at this gate of the temple forever begging for money. Well, he has to beg for money. He can't get off of his mat. He can't walk. He can't run. He needs the help of other people. Everybody knew him. On this day, he walks by, and just as, as is always the case, he looks at Peter and John, the disciples, and he says, Hey, do you have any money? Could you help a guy? And here's what Peter said to him. You can read it in chapter 3. It's incredible. But Peter looked at him, the scripture says, and he said, Silver and gold have I none. In other words, I don't have any money for you. I know you're in need. I don't have any money. But such as I have, I give to you. And then he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I'm pretty sure that guy's thinking, Okay, this is better than money. Are you kidding? I've been like this for 40 years. And you're telling me to get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the scripture tells us that the man got up. He saw that he could walk. And he went throughout the area, leaping, jumping, skipping, praising God. I'm pretty sure there was some dance moves in there. I mean, and you, you know, all the religious folks are like, ah, now let's keep this under control. Tell that to this man. He hadn't walked in 40 years. He's excited. What? I can't believe what just happened. And he begins to tell everybody around him what's happening. So Peter decides, this will be a great time for me to test out this newfound boldness. I think I'm going to tell these people that are gathered with the crowd about the truth of Jesus and his resurrection. <clears throat> and he begins to preach the gospel to the people. 
Now, Peter was a smart guy. He knew that the crowd had gathered to see what this man, to see this man. They all knew how long he'd been lame. And he's walking now. Let's hear what he has to say. And Peter says, all of this has occurred through the power of Jesus Christ. And you too can be healed. And I don't have time to look at all that. But I want to pick up with chapter 4 and show you what happens. Now, you're not going to be surprised to see that the religious crowd tries to squash it all out. Why is it that we do that? Why is it that we, the religious folk, always want to, we always want to quiet anything that God does, it seems like to me. It seems like we don't. Now, let's don't get too far out there. Right, let's don't go too far. Let's don't get too loud. Let's don't get too happy. Let's don't get too peaceful. You know, and we try to squash things. Let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God works, you cannot control yourself. When the Spirit of God's moving in your life, I'm telling you, <clears throat> things begin to happen. And so the religious crowd is going to try to stomp it out. But watch what happens. These guys have a boldness that even the closest ones to them are saying, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I, Peter, I've never seen you like that. John, I've never seen you like that. I've never seen you so bold. You were quiet, timid, Clark Kent. And now you're bold. Two questions I want to answer this morning, kind of show you that I think will be important, and we'll draw it, uh, some conclusion at the end. Two things. First of all, where did they get the boldness to make this huge change? Where did it come from? And second, what did it look like? How did it reveal itself? Listen carefully. We'll unpack it, and then we'll come back at the end, and we'll try to draw it into something that will be very relevant for us today. Look at verse 1, chapter 4, and let's just dig in. <clears throat> A lot of scripture to read this morning. So hang on, it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along there if you'd like. It says, <clears throat> while they were speaking to the people, that is, while Peter and John, the disciples, are talking to the people, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them. Who's the temple police and the Sadducees? They're the religious leaders of the day, all right? The temple police are the ones who are guarding to make sure everything goes on. I think today we would call them ushers. No, not really, not really. Not really. It's just, no. I, I, temple police, they're guarding to make sure everything's under control. The Sadducees are a sect of the Jewish religious leaders. There were two sects. You remember? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's very important. Keep that in mind. Here's where they are. Now, this is going to shock you. Because, you know, what? nothing's new under the sun. Here's what's a shocker. The Pharisees were the conservatives. The Sadducees were the liberals. You've always had right and left. You know, we've always had that. It's nothing new. It's nothing new today. It's always been there. And so they had the right, the conservatives, there were the Pharisees. They believed in the law, keeping it word for word. They believed in, the, in angels, that God had angels. They believed in resurrection of the dead. And, and that was all part of what they said about The Sadducees did not believe in angels, and they did not believe in the resurrection. As someone said, that's why they were Sadducees. I needed the drum, Eric. Where were you, bud? Any, no, seriously, they didn't believe in this. And so the Sadducees are the one that are singled out in this. Now, you'll see why as we read on. This is so interesting. I don't know if it is to you, but I love it. Look at what it says. It says, verse 2, <clears throat> they, were, they, they confronted them because, <laughs> isn't this amazing? They were annoyed that the men were teaching and the people, the teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
They're preaching something that these Sadducees didn't believe. They hated it. They didn't like it. They were annoyed. They're talking about the resurrection. And it all starts with the resurrection of Jesus. Now stop there a minute. Hint number one. What gave these men new boldness? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, that was the tipping point. When we saw them in the upper room biting their nails... When we saw them in the upper room hiding out, when we saw them fearing for their lives and hoping that nobody found them, guess what? That was between the crucifixion and what happened three days later. Everything changed when? When they saw the risen Christ. You see, the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. And when they saw the resurrection, when they saw Jesus alive, everything changed. But up till then, they thought, oh man, they just killed our Messiah. They just killed our Savior. They just killed the guy who was going to rescue all of us. And now he's dead. How do we get this movement? We can't move forward. Until the ladies came to the room, knocked on the door and said, hey guys, we just visited the tomb and he's not there. And when they ran to the tomb, what happened? The angel was sitting in the tomb and said, hey, you men of Galilee, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Well, I'm tempted to fly off on that, but Easter's coming. All right, you're going to hear more about that. But here's the point. The resurrection made the difference and gave them a boldness. Now, I've got to stop right here and say something very important. Because there may be somebody in the room today, and you're trying to figure this Christianity stuff out. And you're not convinced whether Christianity is the right way, or Buddhism is the right way, or Hinduism is the right way, or Islam is the right way. And you're saying, I don't know what is right, what is wrong. I'm trying to figure this out. Who is Jesus? Was he a prophet? Was he a good man? Was he really God? I, try, here's what, oh, I can sell it for you. Sell it for you simply. You've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus and the resurrection. If you settle that issue... All other issues fall into place. You see, if you understand that Jesus was risen from the dead, as we're going to read in a minute, God himself raised him from the dead, that solves a multitude of other issues. For these men, eyewitnesses of the resurrection, it changed everything. It was a phone booth experience. And they came out emboldened as never before. And now... They got the religious leaders steaming. So look what happens. It says, verse 3, So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, and it was all, because it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Wow. I think they had church that day. They're gathered together. They're telling this message, boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because he's alive, you can be resurrected and you can have life. And 5,000 men heard and believed the message. I'm telling you, when you see the resurrection, it changes everything. It changes everything. But the religious crowd is not happy. Look what happens in verse number 5. It says, The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. All Sadducees, by the way. And they, watch this, after they had...
Peter, after they uh, had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power, in what name have you done this? So you get the picture? Two fishermen, two fishermen, two nobodies are brought before the high council of the Jewish faith. The religious elite, the theologians of their day. And they're saying, explain yourself. What happened? In whose name did you do this? Probably hoping that they would say in the name of the devil. But it was worse. Their answer got even worse. Look what they said. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the man, watch this, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom what? God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. And then he adds something critical. He says, this Jesus is the stone rejected by your builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, let me stop right there. Second hint about what gave them boldness. First of all, they were emboldened by the message of the resurrection, by the truth of the resurrection that they saw with their eyes. Second, there's another hint. It says, when Peter stood up before the men, what? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The tense of the verb in the Greek language actually means that he being full of the Spirit or filled with the Spirit began to speak. Now listen to me carefully. I think that's the second indication of what brought them boldness and power. And that's the thing that brings us boldness and power today. First of all, a solid belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And secondly, the Holy Spirit and all of his power. You see, in chapter 2, remember the Holy Spirit came down. And when the Holy Spirit came down, the men, the women in the room were empowered with a new power. Now, I don't want to say too much about this because in a couple of weeks we're going to focus in on that power. But let me say this. I just need to say this much because you may not be here in a couple of weeks and I don't want you to miss this. Listen carefully. It is the Holy Spirit of God that empowers them and empowers us today. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you and it is at work in me working in us so that God can work through us. Before God ever works through you, he has to work in you. And that working in you comes about by the Holy Spirit of God. And watch this, the Holy Spirit takes over and moves, empowers us to do what God calls us to do. You remember what I said a couple of weeks ago? God will never call you to do anything he will not empower you to do. I'm telling you, whatever he calls you to, He's going to empower you. But here's the problem. Most of the time we try to do it ourselves. Most of the time we think, ah, I got this, God. I got it. I know you're busy with the world. Take care of somebody else. I'm good. I can do this this morning. You know what? I've had the experience. I'm ashamed to say, not proud of this, but I'm ashamed to say that I have stood up to do what I'm doing today in my own strength. And I think any honest pastor would say the same thing. Because sometimes we just get so used to doing what we do, we just do it. And I can tell. (laughs) 
within just a few minutes, right, brother? You know what I'm saying? Just a few minutes after we get up here, and I'm thinking, oh, man, Eddie, you have messed up, son. You have messed up. Because we need the power of God at work in our lives, in our hearts. Somebody says to me, I hear it a lot. Somebody says to me, oh, Pastor, I'm just kind of burnt out. Burnt out. Let me tell you something about burnout. I'm not, I'm not being too harsh. I'm just believe, I'm telling you what I believe. Here's the problem with burnout. Burnout, I believe, means that we've been doing it in our own strength and our own power. Because you see, the Spirit of God does not burn out. The Spirit of God burns in our hearts. The Spirit of God moves in us and through us. And the times that I have felt burnt out have been times when I've come to realize I've been doing this in my own strength. I got to get around. I, I got to repent before God, and I got to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and say, "God, work in me." Now I get discouraged. You get down and you get disheartened, sure. But watch this: in whatever God has called you to do, rely on the power of God. I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's a couple of weeks from now. Point is, these guys filled with the Holy Spirit, and as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak. Look at the next verse. He says, if we've been examined today about a good deed done, he said, but what is, he's healed. But in other words, we've done a good deed. What's your problem? And then he says, we've done this in the name of Jesus Christ. And I've got to get down to that last verse I read, verse 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. Can I just tell you, I love this verse. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given to people whereby they can be saved but the name Jesus is that boldness you know what he's doing he's looking at these religious elite theologians and saying uh, there's only one way for you guys too it's not by how powerful you are it's not by how religious you are it's not by how many robes you're wearing you come to heaven you come to God only one way that is through Jesus Christ. Maybe, no doubt, there's no maybe. I'm pretty sure at that moment, Peter and John are remembering when they had a conversation with Jesus, recorded for us by John's witness account in John 14, and Jesus looked at the men and said, hey, hey guys, wait a minute, you, you need to understand something. I'm about to go away, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, just so you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's no other name. There's no other way. So again today, if you're trying to figure it out, and maybe you're trying to work it out, and maybe you're trying to work through it, and you're thinking, I don't know, maybe this is the way, maybe that's the way, maybe I can earn my way, maybe I can buy my way. No, 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 no. There's only one way today that we are ushered into the presence of God, and that is through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now, that was worth coming for today because you need to know that. You need to understand that. And by the way, I love the word he used, and, and sometimes, you know, we get criticized because we use these churchy words or religious terms. And I don't know, but since, since they used it, I think I'm going to use it. They said there's no other name by which we must be what? Saved. That's a pretty good word. Because you see, when you're, when you're, be careful. I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, so reel me in. But I got to say one thing real quick. You know why it's a good word, saved? Because saved include, it, it implies some things. First of all, it implies we're saved from something. 
Secondly, it implies we're being saved by something. And third, it implies we're being saved for something. And guess what? Those of us who name the name of Christ, those of us who come to him by faith, are saved from something. It's called sin, death, and hell. And we are saved by something, and it is the precious blood of Christ shed upon a Roman cross. And we are saved for something. It is the glory of God and the perfection and maturity of our sainthood. What a thought. That I could talk about for a while. But let me get back on track and look at the next verse and see what happens. It, says, it tells us that something more happened. Verse number 13. When they observe the boldness of Peter and John. There it is. When they saw the boldness of these guys. Now remember, who's in this group? I don't want to bore you with this, but this is pretty cool. Who's in this group? A man named Caiaphas. You know who Caiaphas is? Caiaphas was the priest, the high priest that Jesus was brought before. You remember when Jesus went to the house of Caiaphas because he was being judged? He, they arrested him. And the scripture says that they put him in these chains and they took him to the house of Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is there sitting in judgment. Where was Peter? You remember? Come on, Bible scholars. Peter is out in the courtyard at the house of Caiaphas. You remember what Peter did? When the people came by and said, hey, I recognize him. He's, he's a Galilean. He's a follower of Jesus. And what did Peter say? Uh, no, I don't know him. And then another one came by. Wait a minute. He's one of his closest followers. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And the third time, when somebody said, he's the man, Scripture says Peter cursed him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with him. And the rooster crowed. And the crowing of the rooster reminded Peter that Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So that's Peter. And Caiaphas <laughs> now watches this new Peter. What phone booth did he step in? This same guy that denied him three times and cursed the fact that he even knew him now is standing boldly before the council that could take his life. That's incredible. They observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Can I just stop there a minute? I can't go over that too quickly. He said... What they're amazed at is the boldness of these simpletons. These are just simple men. <laughs> these are, are men. They're, they're unlearned, uneducated. Can I tell you the original language, the Greek language? You know what the word is for these unlearned men? The word is idiotos. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to finish out that, figure out that one, do you? Idiotos. We get our word idiot from them. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to get in any trouble in case, you know, I don't use that word. We didn't use that word in our house, and so I'll be careful. But you know what? Luke used it in the book. These are just ordinary men. They're amazed at their boldness. I think I got a compliment this week, but I'm trying to figure it out. You ever get one of those things where somebody, you think they meant it as a compliment, but you're not sure? Somebody told me this week, I think it was a compliment. They said, you know what, Pastor Eddie, what we really like about you is you're just kind of an ordinary guy. I think that was a compliment, but I'm not sure. What's the, po the point is, these were just ordinary men, and they're amazed. 
amazed at what they're hearing about them. Look at the next verse. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In other words, they couldn't deny it. They couldn't say, oh, this will never really happen. It's just a rumor. No, no, he's standing with them. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves. In other words, they had Peter, John, and, 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 and the man who was healed leave. And they have a huddle. And look what happens in the huddle. Wouldn't you love to have been here? They say, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. What are we going to do? We can't let this uproar keep going. We can't let this movement get popular. But what are we going to do? Verse 17. So that it does not spread, here's what they decided. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Let's threaten them. The devil still uses that tactic, doesn't he? Has he ever threatened you? Has he, I, I suspect if you follow Jesus very far, very long, at some point, old enemy the devil has threatened you. And you've cowered. And we get fearful. And we get this thing that we're inside of us, and we, we're like, we, we want to do something, we want to say something, but we're afraid. We feel threatened. Let's threaten them. Verse 18. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Don't speak. And then Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love that. They say, here's the game, guys. We're going to let you go. But you got to quit talking about this Jesus. You got to quit talking about resurrection. You got to quit talking about this gospel. You got to keep your mouth shut. If you do, everything will be fine. If you don't, you're coming back, you're getting whipped, and you're getting put in prison. And Peter looked at him and said, Only one problem with that. I can't quit talking about what I've seen and heard. Boy, do you understand that? Have you ever felt that way? I just can't quit. I, I just can't. Help. Not a couple of weeks ago, um, our granddaughter called us. It was on a Wednesday night. And she called rather late for us, anyway. And um, she had news. She, she just was beaming when she came on. She FaceTimed us. And so she's just beaming when she came on. And she said, Gee, Daddy, Mimi, I got saved tonight. And of course, we said, Oh, okay. No! We said, whoa, baby, that's wonderful. We're so excited, and she's just beaming, and she had to tell somebody. That's just what happens, isn't it? You see, you, here's the thing. You just, when you see the glory of God, and you see the glory of the gospel, and you understand what Jesus is all about, and what this is about, and it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, and it's not about losing, it's about life. You just can't help it. And these guys said, well, you can tell us whatever you want, but God, we can't help it. We've got to tell, did you see what he said? What we have seen and heard. What did they see? They saw the resurrected Christ. And they saw the Spirit of God fall in the form of tongues of fire over their heads. They heard the Word of God as Jesus spoke it year after year, day after day. We can't deny what we've seen and heard, and what we've seen and heard we can't help but talk about, so I'm sorry. I'm not sure we can obey that. I think I get that. You know, here's the thing. Did you know the Hebrew word for 
prophet. A prophet is one who preaches. A prophet is one who forth tells. And the Hebrew word is interesting. It's the word uh, navi. And you know, it really, it picture, uh, Hebrew is a picturesque language. And the word literally means artesian well or spring. Now, we ought to understand that here in Swanee County. We understand what a spring is. We understand how that spring bubbles up, bubbles up, bubbles up, bubbles up. And guess what? Nothing can stop the bubbling. It's just got to come up. And so the prophet is the man of God who has this bubbling in his soul, this bubbling in his spirit, this bubbling in his bones that just has to come out. It's kind of like, now, now Jeremiah didn't, call, didn't use water. You know what Jeremiah said? He said, it's like fire in my bones. I've got to talk about it. I've got to say it. And that's what these guys are experiencing. It's like fire. It's like a spring. It's just coming up, and they're saying, oh, sorry, guys, we, you can say what you want, but I don't think we can stop because of what we've seen and heard. And then he says in verse 21, after threatening them further, they finally released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God. What had been done for the sign of the healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. If we beat them, if we arrest them, there's going to be a riot. So they just warned them, and they let them go. So what made the difference? The resurrection power, the truth of the resurrection. And secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But there's a third thing. Look at the next verse. This is some of my favorite. And after they were released, they went to their own people. In other words, they went back to the church. They went back to the room where they were all gathered, the church as, we knew it at that, as they knew it at that time. They went back to the church and reported everything that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, when the people, when the church heard it, they raised their voices together to God. You know what that is? That's prayer. And you know what we're going to find out? We're going to find out here is the third ingredient for what made these men, these women, so bold. Yes, it was the truth and the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, it was the Spirit of God that came upon them. And finally, let's watch this. They prayed for it. They asked God to give them boldness. Watch the story. This is incredible. This, man, I'm telling you, roll up your toes because this is going to hurt a little bit. But I'm telling you, this is, this is important. He says, uh, uh, very importantly, that, that he said, they began to call out to God and they said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people um, um, plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For a fact, watch this, in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, that's the Roman governors, with the Gentiles and the, and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, watch this, you anointed to die. Mm. To do, I'm sorry, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And here it is, watch this. And now, Lord, here's their prayer. Consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Now, please don't miss this. Here's their prayer. They've just been threatened. They've been threatened that they're going to be beaten, they're going to be imprisoned, and could lose their lives if they keep preaching this. 
And so they come to the church, and the church prays. And what does the church pray? This, this one just pierces me. The church prays, grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Now, here's what I'd pray. I'm just telling you, transparent if I, as I can be. If I'm the one threatened, and I'm being threatened with my very life, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to say, hey, church, pray for me. Pray that God will hedge, put a hedge of protection about me. Have you ever heard that phrase? I pray that. God, put a hedge of protection about me. God, you keep the evil one far away. God, you keep those people away from us. And God, you just keep us safe and, and, and keep us from harm and keep us from injury. And, and God, no, 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 they didn't, they didn't pray. Watch this. They didn't pray that the persecution would stop. They prayed for boldness through the persecution. Wow. I submit that that's pretty bold. I submit to you that these guys who were once scared to death walk into the phone booth, if you will, the power of God, the resurrection of Christ, and the prayer of God's people, and they boldly say, God, we're willing to walk with you wherever you lead us. Just give us boldness to preach the word. I don't know if that bothers you as much as it does me, but it bothers me because I'm afraid in my weakness I might pray differently. God, protect me. I'm about to put something out there, and I hope it's okay. And God says, speak the word boldly. So here are the people, and here's their prayer. Look at the next verse. It says, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Wow. When they prayed, the place where they prayed shaken I've not experienced that in my day but I would love to experience it sometime I think might scare us to death when they prayed the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and suddenly they had this powerful message of a resurrected Savior who said, if I live, you will live also. And then they had this powerful presence of the Spirit of God in their lives. And then they had this prayer team that was praying for boldness that they might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing's more important than that. We'll die for that, is what they're saying. And it occurs to me that that's why the church moved forward. <laughs> that's why they moved forward. They had a burden. And that's why we move forward. Because of a burden for this gospel that we know. You say, but I'm not a theologian. I'm not a preacher. I'm, I've never been to seminary. Wait a minute. Idiotos. Normal folk. You know what happened to you. And can anybody take away what happened to you? 
Do you know, do you remember the time when Jesus Christ came into your heart and you saw the truth of resurrection and you saw the beauty of Christ and you yielded your heart and faith to him and turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ? Do you remember the change that came? Do you remember that phone booth experience for you? That took you, in my case, from being an introvert to speaking to hundreds of people? (laughs) Only one explanation. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why they move forward. So what did it look like? Let me touch this and I'm done. What did it look like? A couple of thoughts. First of all, because of their boldness, they became witnesses for Jesus Christ. If you read the book of Acts, and we'll read through most of it, but not all of it, you'll see that they were bold in their witness. They boldly proclaimed the truth of the gospel. They were unashamed. Can I just tell you something? We have no reason to be ashamed of our gospel. Now, we don't have to be gospel jerks, right? I, I do know there are gospel jerks out there that just want to be arrogant and obnoxious and Oh, no, no, we don't have to do that. But we, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of sharing our message. It is the gospel. We don't have to say, well, I know, but people are, they, we need to be sensitive. We do need to be sensitive, but let me tell you something. The truth of the gospel is the truth of the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed. We can boldly talk about it. Secondly, they were bold in church planting. Everywhere they went, they began to spread out. And as they would go, they would start new churches. And, and by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that there are churches everywhere. There are churches in Jerusalem. There are churches in Judea and in Samaria. There are churches in, in Asia Minor. There's churches in Turkey. There's churches in Greece. There's churches all through the Roman Empire, all through Europe. Later, it spread to the rest of the world. And here we are because they planted some churches. And we need boldness like them in planting these churches, which is why we can look at them and we can understand when a couple of them would come into a town and say, you know what, hey, we got three or four people here, let's have a church. I get it. So we did 12 years ago, right? Two people with a burden from God, joined by five more, and then five more, and then 10 more. 10 becomes 20, and 20 becomes 50, and 50 becomes 100, and 100 becomes where we are today. Why? Because of the boldness. And then I look, I'm thinking about this Ocala plant. Now, some of you are aware of that. If you've been with us at the orchard, you know we're thinking about planting, or not planting, we're planning on planting a new church, a new campus down in Ocala. And you say, well, wow, why do you do that? That sounds exciting. No, you know what it sounds like to me? Not exciting. It sounds like scary. And so forgive me if I'm taking a moment to preach to me today and remind me today that we need to have a boldness, a holy boldness. And setting a campus that can reach new people in new places. Wow. That's really what it's about. Sharing this gospel message that we have. It is not right that we should keep it to ourselves. And then they were bold in their love for others. Watch this. Everything changed. The night that Jesus was last with them, he gathered them around a table And they had what we now call the Last Supper because it was the last time that they would be together. And as they gathered around the table, Jesus looked at them. And you remember what he said? He said, I'm giving you a new covenant tonight. They were aware of the old covenant. And they knew that the sign of the old covenant was circumcision. You've heard of that. But he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm ushering in a new way. And here's the sign of the new covenant. That you love one another. 
In fact, he said, by this, everybody will know whether or not you're Christians. By your love for each other. When they see your love for each other, they're going to say, that's a rare breed. They boldly loved people in a whole new way. You mean, we're, of course we love our family. Of course we love our parents. Of course we love our kids. Of course we love our friends. No, no, no. He said, no, no. I'm telling you, love everybody. Well, what about our enemies? Yep. Love your enemies. How many times can we forgive? Well, 70 times 7. What about those people who are sandpaper people? You know? Yeah, love them. What about those energy vampires? You know anybody that's an energy vampire? They just suck all the energy out of you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad somebody else knows one, two. Yeah, you want to love them. What about the people who aren't like us? Yeah, love them. What about the people in the other political party? Yeah, love them. What about people who disagree with me? Love them. What about people who are far from God and heathens? Yeah, love them. We have a saying here that we like to say that our vision, our value, our goal, our, our dream is to love God and love people. And some even have it on your t-shirts. I say in my years of experience, I found out that loving God is a whole lot easier than loving people. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. It's a whole lot easier. But Jesus said, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> and basically, he said, anybody in need. So to the church... These bold people who probably had a hatred in their heart for the Romans, had a hatred in their heart for the religious elite. They had just watched the Romans and the religious elite put to death their master, their savior, their mentor. And now he says, yeah, but we got to love them. We love them. Listen, church. We've got the same commission. We've got to boldly love people. We are not real good at it. I understand that. I get that. We're trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. I want to love people just because people are souls that Jesus died for. Even the ugly Wild, heathen, different. I want to love people. God, help us to love people boldly. Can I ask you a question? And I want to kind of leave on this. I'm going to finish on this. Who is it in your life right now that you need to determined to love boldly somebody in your life I don't know is it a friend is it a family member is it a somebody at work somebody in the office somebody at school who is it is it somebody that has wronged you somebody that has aggravated you somebody that disagrees with you who is it that you need to love boldly this week
and the next week and the next. I got some people in my mind that I need to love boldly. I got some people in my own heart that I've got to see this. Oh, this boldness is important. It's important for us to be bold, not only bold in our witness, not only bold in planting churches, but bold in loving people. So that brings me to the takeaway, and, and I'm almost done. What do we want to take away from this? Very, very important thing, and that is that as we understand, our boldness for Jesus is seen through our obedience to Jesus. We'd have never seen the boldness of these early church leaders had we not seen their obedience to what God had called them to do. And let me tell you, you say, well, I don't know what God wants me to be bold about. He wants you to be bold about obeying him and whatever it is he's called you to do. And I don't know what that is. Only you know. But boldness is saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey you. Even though it's scary, even though I don't want to see how it's going to work out, even though I don't understand it, I'm going to obey you. And I'll tell you right now, I'm joining in that with you. I'm, making, I'm thinking over that too. I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, what do I need? What do I need to? Where am I being disobedient? Where do I need to be bold? Where do I need to obey you in my own heart, in my own life? I'm asking you to ask those same questions. Our obedience, our boldness is seen in our obedience. Now, here's the wonderful thing. <laughs> the wonderful thing is we have a perfect example of it. And we have the perfect example of it in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have these tables set up here, and some of you already know what that's about. Some of you don't know what it's about, and you're thinking, what is it on those tables? You know what? There's a tradition that's been passed down from the early church. We're often called a non-traditional church, and yet I would say to you that there's nothing wrong with tradition. Let's just make sure it's the right tradition passed down by God and not by some people. But one of the traditions that Jesus left for the church was this tradition that we now call the Lord's Supper. It's a time when we gather together as followers of Christ and we take bread and we take cup, a, a cup of juice. It's so, it's so simple. But we take that because we remember the night that I talked about a moment ago when Jesus instituted this new covenant. And as he instituted this new covenant, he said, now, we're, here's how we're going to seal the covenant. The covenant is going to be sealed with my blood. This new covenant is that I'm going to make a way to atone for your sin and to cover your sin. And the only way it's going to happen is through my death. And they're not understanding. They're scratching their head. And they're saying, wait a minute, we're, we're starting this movement and you're going to die? Yeah. Because when I die, my body will become a sacrifice for your sin and my blood will become the seal of the covenant. And God will be pleased with that sacrifice. And I'll take your place. I'll exchange. I'll take your sin in my body and give you my righteousness. What a deal. How do you turn that away? God takes my sin and all of its punishment. There on the cross, Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth. And he takes all my sin and the punishment of my sin on his own body so that I could have his righteousness and then he said when you gather together take this bread and let it remind you of my body given for you and take this cup and let it remind you of my blood shed for you 
And in this way, he says, you'll remember my death until I come again. You'll remember my death and look forward to his coming.